Being an expert on general automotive knowledge, what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a full barrel carburetor? It is a trick question. Watch this. Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four barrel carb till 64. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing will be four degrees before top dead center. Get ready for another hour of Drive Radio, brought to you by Colorado Select Auto Care Centers. Got a question for the experts? Then give them a call, 303-477-5600. Now it's time to pop the hood and get our hands dirty. Drive Radio on KLZ 560 The Source. All right, and we are back. Drive Radio, KLZ 560. Thanks for joining us today. We do appreciate it very much. The question of the day, which, by the way, some of you guys have really come up with some great answers that I wasn't even thinking of, and that is your favorite auto hero. And I honestly, I didn't think that you guys would have some of the answers you've had. So you've done really, you've done really good, and, and uh, have have given me some things to think about today that I wasn't really, honestly, wasn't thinking it would go that direction. So thanks. Yeah, no, it, it's great because all those all so far everybody all that's mentioned you know it's like wow i wouldn't have thought of you know them or or whatever but uh yeah just the development the you know the preservation stuff like that yeah well and, and in every one of those that you guys have already mentioned i've got a few more i want to throw in you know they all really did contribute you know greatly to you know what we have today you know in yeah. the automotive world you know every one of them kind of played their own part from you know, Carol Shelby to Duntov to, I, I think I mentioned Iacocca, which a lot of folks didn't, you know, we didn't get into details with him, but you know, we can go back even farther than that. And uh, let's face it, you know, there were guys back in the day, like, you know, the Dodge brothers and Henry Ford and Chrysler. And I mean, some of those guys in the early days, and, and there's some great uh, history channel uh, shows, I should say, when it comes to the you know automotive industry, how things were founded and so on. I can't remember what it's actually titled. Yeah. The, uh, um... The, the Cars That Made America, I think yeah, is what it's yeah, called. Right. I think it's exactly. Cars That Made America. Yeah, By the exactly. way, great series. Yeah. And yeah. it's worth renting. If you can't get it for free or whatever, it's worth renting. It, it is. There's some yeah, great, great. Probably three or four hours. Oh, of, it's uh, awesome. In yeah. fact, I was asking Ken something at the last break, and the scene I was thinking of, Ken, is in that show. The, it's in the Cars That Made America. It talks about all the great car leaders, you know, Iacocca being the inventor of you know, the Pontiac uh, the GTO, GTO and, right. you know, things like that. Well, and it's funny, people hear Iacocca, oh, well, that's, you know, if they're our age, well, that's the guy that saved Chrysler. Uh, he did 80s, a lot more than know, that. He was the inventor. Of the, he he yeah, was the, exactly. uh, really was the brainchild behind the Mustang Yeah. back in the day, was, was yep. really the guy that got that going. Yep. Uh, there was a lot of things that you can attribute to, you know, Iacocca. Yeah. And, that's, uh, and that's what that show covers is right. it's those names that pop up. It's like, wow, I didn't know he went back that far, you know? And, um, and you know, to me, I mean, that was 60s. You, and, you didn't, and you know what? Yeah. And we even, and this is, I think this is shows you, you know, how, how things work in history and so on. But, you know, when Ken and I were watching back in the day when, you know, Chrysler was about to fail and Iacocca stepped in, which we were pretty young at that point. Yeah. yeah I didn't really think about him being in the car industry that long and doing the things that he had done. All I thought about was, oh, this guy's going to come in and save Chrysler, which, by the way, he did. Yeah, right. Literally right. saved Chrysler. Yeah, exactly. And the interesting thing is everybody thinks that he saved Chrysler with the K car. I know it was kind of a brainchild of his, and yes, it, it had an impact on Chrysler, but really the biggest thing that Lee Iacocca did that saved Chrysler, believe it or not, was the invention of the minivan. 
which did not exist prior to that. All right. Yeah, they right. they were literally the innovators yeah. of the minivan, which again yeah. we still have today. It's in a lot of the car lineups. It has lost its its flair. I get that, but you know they still sell There's quite a, a few minivans on an yeah, annual we basis. Still see a lot of them. When it comes yeah. to families. It's yeah. the modern station wagon well, and the K car. He built it to where it was affordable and you know front wheel drive affordable car. Yeah, exactly. Not the best car, but, uh, but still um, nothing you know, was in that day. <laughs> well, right, yeah, it was the eighties. So and, and you know, and I, and I mean that, folks, because yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of people that I think even back then would have said that. Well, you know, the the Japanese cars were much better. The German cars were much better. Uh, no, they weren't, nope. folks. You don't see them on the road no. either way. No. The Japanese cars usually rusted to nothing. The, the only thing and that and this is this is really important, by the way. And this is my opinion. I could be wrong. If you want to challenge me, feel free to call in. But to me. The reason why back then the Japanese car companies did as well as they did is because they did then what we try to do on Drive Radio now every single week, and that is they trained their customers how preventative maintenance worked. The American car companies and even the Germans didn't do that back in the day. Buy it, you own it, you, see you buy it, it you own it, yeah. you fix it, it's a done yeah. deal. But the Japanese, they trained their people to come in for the 15, 30, 45, 60K services, which, in my opinion, is what kept those vehicles really on the road and, and in a way, less expensive cost of ownership yeah. than some of their other counterparts. Well, and, and compared to the domestic builders, the Japanese, too, had economy. Where, That's you know, right. They where did. They had that. They had the, that going for them. That's the, right. The domestic. They had mileage. Yeah. The domestic didn't. Didn't. We didn't look at it. That they way. were forced to start doing that, right. but they didn't. Um, right. It wasn't get forefront. It right. It exactly. wasn't on the forefront. Yeah. But you figure the Hondas, the Datsuns, the, you know, or the Nissans. And, well, that was Datsun you know, back and, then. Yeah. Exactly. Datsun. And Datsun. <laughs> That's right. That's what it was back then. And um, yeah, and so that was you know because fuel was. Yeah, and, you know, and keep in mind, folks, even the Germans, because I, you know, I grew up. In fact, the first car I ever learned to work on was was Opel back in the day, and which was a German car imported, and, and a lot of GM dealers had Opel, and we did. So I learned, you know, originally the, when I was a kid, first car I ever worked on when I was, you know, thirteen, fourteen years of age was was an Opel. And, and what I what I'm getting at here is, even the Germans, when it comes to what Ken just said a moment ago. They, the German cars, they were not super fuel efficient either. So you can't right. just say that it was, you know, American cars that were that way. No, that the Japanese did have an in when it came to fuel economy in those days that even the Germans yeah. didn't have because those old, you know, it didn't matter whether it was a Mercedes, an Audi, a Volkswagen, a, you know, an right. Opel, whatever. None of those cars had the fuel economy that the Hondas, Toyotas, and Datsuns had. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you know, and, and Think about that. Volkswagen, the Beetle, was probably the first, probably widely. Well, that was Adolf Hitler's I mean, car. Yeah, right. That was exactly. that was Adolf Hitler's car, and he he was going to call it the People's Car, I believe. I think that was the well, name Volks, that he Volks actually Volkswagen named it. Volkswagen is where that's yeah, That's it's right. The People's Wagon. It's the People's Car. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly. what he. That's what he wanted yeah. it to be. And but that was, I guess you know so, you, you so, look at some of the vid- some of the uh, old you know video or, or movies. And stuff you see Volkswagen Beetles like in the early seventies, where the Datsuns and the Hondas didn't really start coming out until at, late seventies to early eighties. Yeah, mid at the so, mid right. at the earliest, yeah, and even the mid seventies. Exactly. I will tell you that uh, foreign cars at that point, uh, the Japanese cars, I should say, they they were they were not that great in the mid seventies. Now you got no, to right. the eighties, they they started to get much better, but sure. that, those mid seventies cars weren't that great either. So no, right. again, I think that I think the the American uh, car companies especially got some. Some hits by the press, 
that I don't know that they were 100% justified back in that day. I mean, some were. I mean, let's face it, they, they were not great cars. I get that. But some of the hits they took uh, wasn't necessarily the car. I was talking to to uh, Ken at the top of the hour. I'm kind of a car advocate. I mean, I, you guys have heard me talk about that numerous times. I think a lot of times cars get a bad rap because the wrong person bought the wrong car. It really isn't the car's fault. I know there's some lemons and there's some cars that aren't so great through history, but in general, I'm kind of like Jay Leno. I look at it more of, you know, the car itself, uh, you know, and is it being used correctly, not necessarily how bad or good was the car originally. So anyways, right. Tom and Lakewood, you got a couple of comments. Go for it, sir. Hello? Hello, Tom. Hi. Uh, well, I've got a couple comments and then uh, a question. Sure. The first one, Frank Durier, he was uh, the founder, really, of General Motors. Yes. And what I yes. really like about him, he was kind of like an Elon Musk toward a guy. But anyway, he kept going and kept his ambitions sky high and kept getting wrenches in the system, what have you. And he went bankrupt. And by God, what he did then is he opened up a hot dog motorized stand outside of one of the General Motors plants, and he got an awful lot of business from guys who just wanted to buy a hot dog or a hamburger from the old boss. And I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah. That is, you know, in your, in your point a moment ago about you know, how General Motors was formed and the guy behind it who took, by the way, some really huge financial risks to make all that happen. In fact, a lot of those guys back in the day, including Henry Ford, uh, you know, did that. But most folks don't realize, real quick, just as a side note, if you go back and look at Henry Ford's wealth back in that day and you compare it to today's you know inflationary numbers and what dollars are worth i think henry ford if i'm not mistaken would have been worth somewhere around 300 billion dollars in today's world hmm. that's how rich he was back in the day right and and how they didn't want to you know the man especially henry ford he didn't want to change you know as time changed no he did not it was his son that actually forced that right exactly so, so, anyways, no, no, it's good stuff, yeah. Tom. Really good. The other thing, uh, I got to thinking about this electrical car and and that, that clip from the uh, head of uh, Ford where he told Elon Musk to get respect, or not? Yeah, Musk. But anyway, um, I wonder how they're going to fill that car up because one of the advantages of the gas car is you go 400 miles or something like that, and then it takes you 10 minutes to fill up. Correct. And then you're on your way. Correct. Now, it would take just about a lightning bolt to go in that socket of an electric car to get that much energy. Well, they, they have what minutes. they have. For everybody listening, what they have, and again, most folks don't know this because the press doesn't talk about it because, frankly, the press doesn't understand electric cars anyways. It's why I've bought one, own one, and, and you really use it to test and talk on, on air about it, Tom, is uh, most folks don't realize this, but a lot of the electric cars, and in some cases it's an option. On my Bolt, it was an option. We have what we have. We have what we call DC charging, which means it's direct current. So you're not using alternating current 220, you know, to actually run through a, a, a charge port and charge the batteries that way. We use direct current. Now with direct current, Tom, you're back to filling the car up in 10 to 15 minutes if you have that availability. If the car does, it, no, it, well, if, if the, the car has station. it, which Teslas do, and my car does, and a lot do, but if you've got a charging station that's DC, you can fill up in about 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Good to know. Uh, and the other comment I got is, uh, coming from the 60s, for some odd reason, and I was born way in the 40s, but for some odd reason, there was a lot of people in the 60s that felt inferior. And by God, anything Japanese or German they thought was better, and they'd buy it. 
Uh, I, you know what, Tom? I think I think what you just said, and I, I will. By the way, I I will I will second what you just said because I think you're spot on. I think there was a lot of things, and and this is where the press comes into play. There were a lot of things in those days that I think got a bad rap just because they were trying to push some of this other stuff. And, and claiming that things were better than, I think, in a lot of cases, they really were. I mean, I, I remember some of the early Japanese cars, and, Tom, they were as, they were as big a bucket of bolts as some of the American cars were. And, Tom, you know, sure. Ken's over here shaking his yeah. head because, you know, we worked on some of those things back in the day. Yeah. So, uh, But yet they didn't get the same uh, negative press right. that the American cars did. Right. Be- probably yeah, because they I weren't as popular. A, a 50s model car and a 60s model car. So I, 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 I was all right with that. The 50s, I ended up doing valve chops every 70,000 miles. Right. That was it. Right, right. Well, thank you. Well, Tom, thank you very much. Thanks for your comments. I appreciate them. You're spot on. Gilbert, Mickey, hang tight. We'll come right back. Drive radio, one line open, 303-477-5600. For over 38 years, Geno's Auto Service has been serving Littleton and customers along the Front Range. Right now, you can take advantage of Geno's $74.99 four-wheel alignment special. Mention KLZ Radio, and they'll include a free inspection of your suspension. During the winter months, icy roads and potholes can damage your suspension, so it's worth getting it checked out. This month, get a $50 NAPA prepaid Visa card with a qualifying NAPA steering and suspension parts purchase of $250 or more. As members of Colorado Select Auto Care, Geno's backs up their service with Napa's nationwide peace of mind warranty. Geno's continues to service Larry's automotive customers. To make your life simpler, Geno's offers loaner vehicles so you can drop your car off and pick up when ready. Give them a call or go online to schedule an appointment. And be sure to check out all of their excellent Google reviews. They're AAA approved and located at Bowles and Platte Canyon in Littleton. Stop in or visit them online at Geno's autoservice.com that's genos with a j your next oil change could change the life of your vehicle forever if you think that's a tall order maybe you've been getting the wrong oil change a bg performance oil change bg comes with a lifetime of engine and fuel system coverage and something else peace of mind where do you find it find a shop in your neighborhood at bgfindashop.com that's bgfindashop.com because an oil change that offers a lifetime of peace of mind is a change worth making. BG. KLZ's personal injury attorney, Kevin Flesh of Flesh and Beck Law, has a unique background that makes him a more effective advocate for you. He handles both criminal and civil cases. Most attorneys only do one or the other, but Kevin has almost 25 years of experience on both sides, which means he has more practice in the courtroom. Most personal injury attorneys will say they have experience in court, but since only about 10% of personal injury cases actually go to trial, those attorneys only appear in court once or twice a year. Because Kevin also takes criminal cases, he appears in court constantly. Kevin has a rare ability to present an argument that only comes from years of experience learning how to read a courtroom. KLZ's personal injury attorney continues to practice both civil and criminal defense because he believes the courtroom keeps him nimble. Trial tested, trial ready. Kevin Flesh of Flesh and Beck Law. Schedule a free consultation now at 303-806-8886. 
Napa know-how. A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. All right, Drive Radio, KLZ 560. Thanks for joining us today. Myself, Ken Rackley. Question of the day is, who's your favorite car, you know, automotive hero? Could be today, could be somebody from the past. Gilbert, you're up next. Hey, how's it going, John? Good, sir. Good. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, we are, I've always debated people with Asian cars, and I'm a Toyota person, and I have been for a long time. And time and time and time again, I've seen people that, well, i got three stories to tell. Back in the early, mid-'70s, when gas was going out of this roof, yep. people tried trading their cars in. And my friend Charlie Graham bought a Subaru DL, little basic, yep. front-wheel drive. Yep. And I'll tell you what, he drove that thing for 10, 15 years. Another guy we knew, at that same time, bought a Chevette. Oh, they were terrible cars. <laughs> okay, my point, exactly. Must be in the car wash. Yeah, yeah, he must be. I can hear the I can hear the old brush flapping, Gilbert. <laughs> he, uh, I'll be out of that in a second. Anyway, he, uh, he, he bought the Chevette, and it lasted him maybe three years, and it was a POS. You know, they paid almost the same kind of money. I think they each paid about $2,700. And then I had a friend named Larry, uh, Larry Larry Sting was his last name, actually Sting. And he was a Chevy, Chevy guy. He had a Chevy uh, Colorado. It was a 2005. Took care of that thing, babied it. He had money. He took it in all the time for service. Yeah, he left it. That thing left him stranded in a blizzard. His wife said, you need to get rid of this thing. And he went the next day and bought because I drove Toyotas. And he asked me about Toyotas. I said, I like him. He bought a Toyota in 2008, a Tacoma, extra cab. He still has that truck to this day. And every time I see him, he thanks me. He goes, thank you. He says, this thing's incredible. They never have a problem with it. Mm. It's it's, that Chevy all the time. He has two major things go wrong within three years. It was under warranty, of course, but that last time his wife was upset because they got stranded in that sure. blizzard. So you need to get yeah, you know, and, I, and you, you, I'm not not denying that, Gilbert, but I will tell you that, you know, I can also give you stories, myself included, where I'm now just selling some old plow trucks off that I'm still running that have a gazillion miles that are from the, you know, early 90s, you know, 91, 92, that I'm just now finally getting rid of it, that have plowed snow literally this entire time. So, I, you know, I can go the opposite way and give you stories that go right along with what a Toyota does. Yeah. You know, right. it just really, I, a lot There's, of it comes down to the vehicle itself. Yep. Exactly. I understand. Maybe I've gotten lucky over the years. No, I mean, I, I think, I, you know, in general, you and I think, vehicle. you know, Toyota's yeah. got a really great reputation, mm-hmm. and they have yeah. done a, 
you know, and I want to make sure everybody understands this as well. They've done a great job of building a very reliable vehicle, but keep in mind, part of the way they've done that in, in the, the truck uh, the truck side of the fence, especially when it comes to Tacomas and Forerunners, they've done that by putting a very reliable drivetrain in that vehicle, but also a very underpowered drivetrain to where nothing breaks because, no offense, there's not enough power there to break anything. <laughs> and there's not. I'm not exaggerating I when I yeah, say that. Right. I, I, I've got the four liter in my four wife's forerunner. It's, I think, 168 horsepower, 170 horsepower. Right. But I don't tow anything. It's, it's, I've never been stranded. Right. I've never sure. gotten stuck in a blizzard. No, uh, and they and they I, use I, a very I, good you know drivetrain. I mean, their transfer case yeah. assembly is put together very well. They use a pumpkin style you, you know that? differential with a with a you know a, a a bearing you know a wheel bearing on the end that is yeah. actually probably stronger than some half ton Ford and Chevy trucks out there. So no, there there are parts of that that they've done a very very good job on, and I'm not. I'm not knocking them, I, and I'm really talking more about you know what happened back in the you know late '70s, early '80s, where the American cars really got thumped, and it may you know maybe rightfully so, but I can also go back and thump some of the uh, the, the foreign cars in, in some cases, and there were particular makes and models right. that weren't any better. Is my yeah. point? You're right. Well, exactly. I'm I'm specifically talking Toyota. I don't care for Nissan or Subaru. I think they're not as reliable as a Toyota. I had a friend that had a Nissan pickup, a, a Frontier, and it lasted him maybe seven years. And well, and, and you know, to your point on the Subaru, I mean, we, we, you know, let's face it, up until about 2012, I guess it is, 2010, 2012, Subaru had head gasket issues like No Tomorrow and even had a few after that. I mean, they're right. much, much better today and they're a good car now, but yeah, they went through their growing pains as well. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and even, but again, when they first, I'll, I'll tell you what, with the Subaru, you can't beat them things in the snow. I've seen no? a video where a stock Subaru went up that standing right. hill. And then all these custom trucks couldn't even get halfway. That's right. No, That's no, they're they're low center of gravity. <laughs> they're, you know, their boxer engine. You know what they yeah, what they, they put together boxer. with all that. They, you know, they were the. Let's face it, a Subaru. Give them credit. Subaru was the really the inventor of the modern day all wheel drive vehicle. Everybody else yeah. pretty much copied what they did to to have what they have today. Right. Subaru was the first. Yeah. Yeah. They and they're all wheel drive still. They're. Uh, I guess they've gone to turbos too. There's they no have. more. They have. Yeah. No, no, anyway, great, great comment. No, Gilbert, I appreciate it. I'll let you get going there and, and continue on with what you're doing. I appreciate that. Good comments. Uh, Mickey in Denver is next. Go ahead, Mickey. Oh, got a whole bunch of stuff here. Uh, for Randy up in the uh, Great White North, <laughs> uh, if he's got he's got 200,000 miles on that car? Yeah. Okay. If he wants to get a better transfer, he could use some old welding cables to power up. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Better transfer of energy. True. There could be corrosion in those cables. I doubt if he's done a voltage drop right. test between the battery and the starter or right. things like that. That could make the difference for him. Yeah. Good point. And if you really want to find out something, I like to do the internet searches, but I knew some battery engineers back in Vermont, and they told me all sorts of stuff, and <clears throat> do some research, because yes, you, charging up a brand new battery is like uh, eating a good breakfast. Even if it's a brand new battery, it hasn't been, it got a quick charge to get it out, to get it sitting on a shelf. You want it to last longer? Do a full charge on it with a trickle charger. You can restore an old battery. 
with a trickle charger. If you want to let it sit for a day, trickle charge it up. Uh, oh, uh, next up for the on the Japanese cars. Yes. 70 Datsun 240Z changed the world because all of a sudden little Japanese cars were cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll give you up, that. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Next up, uh, as for bucket of bolts, rust prone upstate New York, they tended to rot down real quick. But I had a Datsun Honeybee and 1200 cc's, and you could tank up with that. Back in 74, you couldn't buy a tank of gas. True. All right. That little thing went around. I ran with my Chevelle. I ran out of gas waiting in line to get gas. <laughs> yep. The, hun- the honeybee, you filled it up and you went for two weeks. Was was that like a B210 or something like that? Yep. Yeah. It was a special edition B210. Yep. Had a little honeybee on the right. I remember that. Was, yeah. and uh, on the glove compartment. I mean, wasn't real fast, but right. damn thing got good mileage. Right. I mean, compared to the Chevelle, it was a wonder. Sure. Different, different, um, total, total different vehicle. Yep. That's yeah, sure. a whole different world. Yeah. And it was reliable. Even with all, it, with its quirks, it was still reliable. Yep. Yep. Uh, no, and you were right about the, the 7240Z. That re- really did change that, that end of things. You are correct. It, it was a game changer, no doubt. Uh, next up for the question of the day, I got two people. Let's hear it. Um, since I'm older, every kid in the world had something of Big Daddy, <clears throat> Ed, Big Daddy Roth. If you yeah. didn't have a rat yeah. thing. True, true. Yeah, good point. I forgot about that. Cream. Yes, good good one. Yes. Like and all the other cars that he created, people, he inspired so many people just with some of the oddball stuff that he did that Designers still wouldn't have caught up to them yet. Yeah. The other yeah. guy. All right, John, think fast. What does MT stand for? Mickey Thompson. Yeah. Another Mickey one. Thompson. Yeah, another one. My dad was a racer. He raced little Peugeots sure. and Renaults. I mean, they were Tinker Toy cars. They looked like 40s cars, but they had this tiny little engine. Yeah, dad would get mom all upset because he'd pull the engine out, rebuild it on the kitchen table, and stick it back in and go racing next week. (laughs) Uh, But the other part of that is uh, with Mickey Thompson, er, well, what what introduced me to him was Dad, I think it was 60 or 62, going, that guy is out of his mind. So that kind of piqued up interest. Yeah. What, What do you do? He went over 400 miles an hour in a car. Yeah. That was Mickey Thompson. Yep. Yep. No, also, no, good, good. No, good. Great point. First first guy to build a slingshot dragster. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, he did. Okay, then he got, he split off into building speed parts and other stuff so he could support his habit. Sure. And, you know, everybody's had him set of Mickey Thompson Vell covers. They they might not have known it was Mickey Thompson. They just so they were MTs. They were cool or Mickey Thompson tires mm-hmm. or. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like there wouldn't be any SEMA if there hadn't been a Speed Equipment Manufacturers Association that SEMA morphed into. 
Yeah, and you know, and, and you know, talking about some of the stuff. Somebody mentioned it earlier, but Don Gartlitz, which you know, don't forget, he was the innovator of the rear engine dragster because of the accident that he had had. You know, when the front engine dragster blew up, and I think it damaged his foot, if I'm not mistaken. So he yep. came up with a rear engine dragster, which of course is what we still see today when it comes to top fuel dragsters. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, no good stuff, Mickey. You got to run to break. Thanks. Always great talking to you, Mike. In Highlands Ranch, hang tight. We'll come right back. Question of the day is, what you, who is your favorite automotive hero? I got a, a lot more that we'll uh, get to. If you guys don't mention them, I will. We got a couple lines open, 303-477-5600. Halfway point, Drive Radio, KLZ 560. Hello, Drive Radio listeners. This is Chris Hammond with Ken's and Leslie distributing your local BG Products distributor. Back again this week with your BG Tech Tip. This week, we're going to talk about gasoline direct inject engines, or GDI as they're often referred to. Many new cars come with GDI technology and are sold under trade names like EcoBoost or Skyactiv. This direct inject technology differs from traditional port fuel injection in that the fuel injector introduces a finely atomized spray directly into the combustion chamber instead of the intake plenum where fuel and air were previously mixed. This technology causes a much higher heat at the tip of the injector where deposits become significantly more difficult to prevent or clean. In addition, on GDI engines, there is no longer a fuel spray on the intake valve allowing a gas tank additive to clean the valve. The deposits formed in these GDI engines require a very specific process to prevent and to remove. The good news is the lab here at BG Products has it figured out. So next time you're in for a service on your car, be sure to ask your advisor if your car has this great new GDI technology and what you need to do to help maintain your car and keep it trouble-free and fun to drive for miles to come. Thanks again, Drive Radio listeners. This is Chris Hammond with BG Products. We'll talk to you again next week. Call Novus Auto Glass as soon as you notice a chip or crack in your windshield so they can save you more money. Novus Auto Glass wants to help you save more money by repairing chips and cracks whenever possible. With their patented glass repair technology, Novus can tackle tougher cracks than the competition. In some cases, they can repair cracks up to a foot long, but you have a much better chance at getting a repair when you act fast. Glass repair is more complicated than you think. Something as simple as going through a car wash could make your little chip or crack unfixable. No matter what sort of damage you're dealing with, though, there's never any risk with a Novus repair. Should your windshield repair fail, they will credit the cost toward a replacement. Novus works with all insurance companies, and for those without windshield coverage, Novus will give you a discounted cash price. It's simple. Novus Autoglass saves you more money. Visit drive-radio.com slash Novus now and find the windshield repair expert nearest you. Novus Autoglass, the inventors of windshield repair. Paul Lewinberger with American National Insurance offers a rebate program unlike any other. Every year that you don't file a claim, you get a certain percentage of your money back. Just one example of how Paul Lewinberger, the personal insurance agent of John Rush, keeps your rates so low. He rewards his customers for their diligence and responsibility. Paul can also help you strategize about when to file a claim and when to pay out of pocket so you save more money in the long run. You don't want to shop online for insurance because you have no idea what you're buying. You need Paul Lewinberger with American National, the no-surprises insurance agent. 
Call 303-662-0789. That's 303-662-0789. And ask Paul Lewinberger with American National Insurance for details about his unique rebate program for home and auto insurance. Talk to somebody with the expertise to advise you so you get the coverage you expect. Barber's Foods has been selling only the highest quality organic, antibiotic-free, and natural food products in Colorado for over 70 years. Their mission is to provide only the best food found in the marketplace from family farms they know personally. Right now, click on March Madness Specials at the top of barbersfoods.com to find these specials and more. Barber's Farms, ground beef, made in Colorado, from Colorado raised beef in one-pound packages, only $2.99 a pound. Thunders Catch Alaskan Salmon, whole fillets on sale in March for only $12.49 a pound. And pre-order your Beeler's Duroc non-GMO spiral ham before Easter. Don't spend $100 or more for a spiral ham from a retail outlet. Buy wholesale and get a better ham at a better price from a family farm that Barber's Foods knows personally. Place your order today at barbersfoods.com. All right, Drive Radio KLZ Fixty, jumping right to the phones. Mike and Highlands Ranch, you've been, you've been on hold a while. Thank you for waiting. Uh, what can we do for you, sir? John, uh, good show again today. Thank you. I have a scan tool question. Yeah. You guys uh, were chatting with a fellow earlier, and this is something that has driven me crazy for a long time. And you mentioned, Ken, I believe, was it mentioned you could have an oxygen sensor light go on, but it might not be the oxygen sensor. Right. And what I've had a hard time with when I hear about people in shops is, well, they changed this, that didn't work, they changed that, mm-hmm. but they had a scan tool. But isn't the scan tool and the code reader, and don't you need a book to go along with that? Just yes. having the tool does you no good. Right, exactly. In a lot of cases, it's not even the book, it's the OEM website that we use. You're right, the OEM website. It's all the info. Yeah, the... Dinah, so delineate uh, that a little bit because it's yeah. really confusing. So, well, I went to a place and they had a tool, but they did this, this, and this, and they still couldn't find it. Well, and and some people like that could be looking for an easy, you know, easy way out. But and and a lot of times that doesn't fix it. So for every for every code that comes up, there is a diagnostic procedure for that code. And not necessarily the diagnostic procedure will lead you in the right direction. So experience and stuff like that. Right. So a some of the oxygen sensor codes or some of the things that come up like that can be caused by multiple things. Um, and without experience, you know, you're going to go through and test the sensor. Well, the sensor's fine. Well, now that what? doesn't. Yeah. Now what? Right. the The code is the code is a direction to go. But it's not the it's not the fix. Right. So when well, pe- good way to say it. Yeah. So when I when I get calls say oh they diagnosed it by reading the code it's like well no they didn't they pulled the code. Right. So we have to go in and figure out why that code sets. So right. uh, so an oxygen sensor code can be caused by different sensors not giving the right gas to those sensors. Or so, you know let's or, one step further, Mike, which I've seen technicians miss over the years, and we've talked about this a lot today in the show is basic. Uh, you know, the basic starting and charging system of the vehicle, if it is not up to speed, some of the things even Ken's talking about can show up. Because if your voltage 
you know, going out, the reference voltage, they call it, if that's not correct, it can cause all sorts of problems. I mean, I've seen technicians that are highly skilled miss some of the very basics of diagnostics, which are right. number one thing is make sure your char- you know, your charging and starting system are where they need to be first before you do anything else. And I've seen technicians miss that. Yeah, right. Well, and Even with a scan tool. Yeah, exactly. So another quickly, what's the difference between a code reader and a scan tool? Scan so tool will take all the PIDs, yes. extrapolate that data, put it onto a screen and tell you exactly what each PID, you know, what each sensor, what each area of that of that, um, um, I don't want to say it, module System or right. any, any, anything. I mean, I mean, we're, we're talking in some cases there's, you know, some cars might have 10 plus computers. Right. And okay. what a scan tool does is goes out and can look at all of those individual areas of a vehicle and then give you feedback on each, you know, real, real-time readings on each, where a scan tool is going through looking for codes that that scan tool may be able to pick up in the main computer. And that's where this gets really technical, guys. The more money you spend on a scan tool, typically the more computers and systems on a car can you then read on the scan tool itself. You're not going to pull any data out, but you can at least read the codes. Your basic scan tools, Mike, are reading the ECM only. No body control modules, nothing else in the vehicle, only the ECM. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, then you have, if you are a particular manufacturer, you need his particular, for lack of a better term, code book or breakdown of the codes. Is, is that what I'm hearing too? Like a Honda or a Nissan or a well, uh, they uh, all have their they all have their specific tool that they use in, from the manufacturer. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad but, Ken just said that because yeah. Mike, there's even in, even in our world, even in the aftermarket world, there is a big difference between. I'll just throw it out there. You can go out and buy the the fanciest 10k plus snap-on scan tool, and that's what they'll cost you, and it will get a lot of information out of a lot of vehicles. But it will not give you all of the information that the original equipment manufacturer scan tool will give you. Right. Not even close. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. Well, no, it's it's a subject that is is ripe for confusion because it really is. No, I'm, no, I'm glad right. you asked. Well, and and most people, you know, in, unless they're in the industry, they don't really need a scanner, and and you know, unless they know how to read it. Right. I mean, it's right. You know, right. it would. Well, but, you know, Mike, real quick, I want to, I want to address this really fast as well because you brought up a great point. I know Ken will agree. It's also why you can have shop A that has a really great, you know, the, all of the latest and greatest, you know, aftermarket, you know, whether it's Altel, whether it's, uh, you know, Snap-on, you name it. They've got all the latest and greatest in the aftermarket world when it comes to, you know, code readers and scan tools. You can go to shop B that actually has all of that and has the, you know, in Ken's case, the factory GM tool. Right, right. And what I will tell you is, while Shop A may be a very nice, qualified, clean shop and may have a lot of great things going on in it, if you've got a really hard-to-fix vehicle and you do not have that OE scan tool, you may not fix the car. I, I understand. That's why I. That's why it's John and, and Ken. It's one of those those subjects when I talk about it with people. I I say you need to have the folks that have the absolute right equipment and and just having a $200 scan tool is not going to help no. you. Right. Now, I will also say this, that as the vehicles age and there's more backwards compatibility and in, in, in figuring out, if you would, that's done by the aftermarket manufacturers, 
then of course those tools get better and better as the cars age and it gets easier. Let me easier is maybe not the right word. It's more you have more capability, capability of right. fixing yeah, those good. cars as they age. Where you take yeah. a car that's within five years of age, there are particular makes and models that if you don't have the factory scan tool, you're you're not going to fix them correctly. And I'll go one step further. A lot of the diesel trucks on the road today, yeah. if you do not have the factory scan tools to fix a diesel truck, uh, Ford in particular, you're, you're not you're not going to fix that truck properly. Right. Okay. Well, this makes it. I mean, you guys, it, it makes a ton of sense. It just it's just uh, one of those, like I said earlier, it's just one yeah. of those subjects that is subjects that is is complex. And then it makes sense, having thought about it and listened to you, that people that do it all the time and use them and recognize what this particular model is throwing, say, oh, no, I know what that is. Right, I've seen right, it. right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and when I said I had a $200 scan tool, that's just me. I carry it in my trunk. Right, you know? and right. That's just, well, if I wasn't something, making a statement. No, no sure. No, and, and, and it's something that it gets me some information that, you know, a code wouldn't. Right, And, right. and I can look at that, and, right. you know, most of the time, you know, I might be able to figure out something. And that's just for friends and neighbors right. and family, family whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I've got the same thing, so yeah. I understand exactly what Ken's yeah, talking about. It, it's, it's a baseline. It, right. It's, it's like it is. carrying a screwdriver and a pair of pliers. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. More information, it just helps better decisions. Right. Exactly. But, you know, real quick, Mike, I wanted to add, too, that you know, I've seen over the years, you know, even as a shop owner and and even, you know, of course, now consult and do some of that as well. And I can tell you that, you know, I've seen some really highly skilled technicians that get a make and model of vehicle in their bay that they may never have seen before. And I don't care what scan tool they're using. If they don't know that vehicle, they're not fixing it. Yeah. I get it. I yeah. understand. Yeah. I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So anyways. Well, thanks. Thanks, fellas. Mike. I thought the Jay Leno comment was. It was awesome. I- that I thought that was right out of left field, yep. but boy, what a great, great, uh, what a great. Uh, no, so guy. far I think that one of, of you know ones I would have never thought of right now. I, I, it's top because it, he really has done a lot for the automotive world. He yep. really yep. has. Yep. Great show, John. Thanks, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it very much, Nathan. Hang tight. We'll come right back and get you right after the uh, break. We do have a couple lines open: three zero three four seven seven fifty six hundred. This is Drive Radio KLZ five sixty. Going into the showroom at Purefoy Chevrolet, one of the things that struck me is that the people that work there, they're just regular people. You talk to the guy that's helping you, and you get the sense of, this is just another person. He wants to help me. He wants to make sure that I get the right car. He's asking the right questions, but without being pushy. I just get a sense that he's really invested in what I need to find for my my family and for me. Rolly Purifoy is not somebody who would ever brag about himself, but he has an incredible history with Chevrolet, and that's why he cares about those vehicles so much. He's actually been a test driver for some of the models, and he's even had some input in the design. If you just ask Rolly some questions about his history, he has the most fascinating stories. He's one of those owners who will just chat with you like an ordinary person. He's just one of those people you really need to meet. I would highly recommend Purifoy Chevrolet. They're a really remarkable group of people. Hi, I'm Rolly Purefoy. We're just up the road in Fort Lupton and on the web at purefoychevrolet.com. Find new roads. Most oil changes are the same. Old oil out, new filter, new oil in. It's a routine, a chore on the to-do list. What if your oil change wasn't the same as the rest? What if it was life-changing? BG. A BG oil change can change your life because it comes with free lifetime protection for your engine and fuel system, which means a lifetime of peace of mind for you. Find a shop near you at bgfindashop.com. 
That's bgfindashop.com. BG. No one likes to be that person. You know the one stuck on the side of the road, busted tire, making everyone slow down to get around them. With Legacy Automotive's new tire sales, you don't have to be that person ever. Here in our Colorado climate, you might be closer to needing new tires than you think. A bad set of tires can be dangerous and even life-threatening. Tires should be regularly examined for cracks, bulges and blisters, and other signs of wear and tear on your vehicle. The skilled team at Legacy Automotive in Boulder will be able to examine your current set of tires, let you know what they recommend based on what they find, and help you get on the road. Legacy Automotive is a Napa Gold Certified Auto Care Shop and employs ASC Certified Technicians. So don't be that guy and make an appointment at Legacy Automotive today at 303-396-0555 or visit them online at LegacyAutomotive.com. Legacy Automotive, locally grown auto repair. Hunting down that hard-to-find part for an out-of-the-ordinary car can be quite a time-consuming chore. Unless, of course, you just go around the corner to your local Napa Auto Parts store, where we have over 310,000 parts, all of them made to fit and perform just like the original. Yeah, there are people who say it's the journey and not the destination, but those people have never tried to find an alternator for an 82 Fiat on a Saturday. Go to NapaOnline.com for the location nearest you. Napa, get the good stuff. All right, Drive Radio, KLZ 560. Myself, Ken Rackley, Tune Tech Automotive out here in Aurora. Nathan, you're up next. What's going on, Nathan? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, I I have a 2008 Patriot with with a manual, and it has about uh, 140,000 miles on. And the problem I'm running into is uh, at uh, maybe uh, low, uh, maybe speeds that are a bit too high for the gear, it's developing a jerkiness um, to it versus like a just like a slow rumble when you might be in a gear that's too high per se for the speed. Okay. I'm wondering what the solution is to that. Hmm. Uh, what what maintenance have you done on the car? Oh, it's uh, all kinds of maintenance. It's it's fully up to date with maintenance. Okay, so I mean, you've had everything done when it comes to, uh, you know, throttle body cleaning, top engine cleaning, spark plugs, things like that. Yes. Okay. Okay. And and jerkiness. So like. So right before you're getting ready to shift, you'll get a jerkiness, or? Well, what, what will happen is um, maybe when you're you're reaching, let's say, uh, the top speed of a lower gear, and then you shift into the to the next gear, be it second or uh, it's really a problem going into third, where the speed will be maybe a little bit low going into third, and when you put it into third, then it, it just really jerks instead of. Um, I think in its earlier days, it would have uh, just had like a, like a, kind of like a grinding sound or something. Not a grinding sound, but a slow rumble to it because you're in a too high of gear for the for the speed. Hmm. Okay. And it, Does that make sense? so, like when you shift from first to second, you're good. But when you go from like second to third, you'll kind of just it'll. Like, does the car just shake once, or or does it or does it jerk just once, like a. And it, it kind of shakes and jerks until uh, the speed gets high enough for the gear. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Yeah. So, so like you said, like shifting into that third gear at like 20 miles an hour or something. Well, yeah, but uh, not maybe 
not that prominent, but okay. Uh, but you still feel and, something and, like and that. new. I'm assuming Nathan, this wasn't here prior. Just something just came up. Uh, I would say maybe it's been a slow development over time. Okay, I mean, and no lights coming on, of course, or anything like that. No. Okay. No I mean. What's what's overall power? You know, what's it like? You know, throughout the rest of the gears, and do you notice any difference in, you know, just starting from stoplight, first gear, second gear? You know, your normal shift pattern. Do you notice any difference there as far as power output goes? So the the speed at a higher speed it seems okay, but I also have noticed a problem like when you're at an incline in first gear that it will lack. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm guessing we're down on power is where, where I'm going with this. I think some of that jerkiness is we just don't have the power that we once did. And kind of why I asked a moment ago about the maintenance side, not that maintenance fixes these things. But I, right. I think I would be looking a little closer now at, you know, what's caused this drop in power? Do we have a, you know, slowly are we getting some, you know, plugged up exhaust? Is a catalytic converter failing? You know, things along those lines, which which right. can be a, a sort of a slow, to you know, to come symptom of, of that problem, Nathan. I mean, you may not notice, notice it overnight, is my point, but a lack of power, I think, is what we're, I think that's what you're up against. Could very well be, yeah. And, and even, I'm not sure if that one runs a mass airflow sensor on it or not, but sometimes that can restrict your power without turning a light on because it's sensing. Right. That it is still within the range, but right. it's out enough that it's going to restrict power. Right. And um, with 140K, I mean, it could very well have some debris on it or something to that effect but watching fuel trim stuff like that hey, that's back to that conversation like nathan that. we had with with mike a moment ago about all the things that come out of a proper uh scan tool you can actually read all of that information and find out you know are we switching from rich to lean quickly enough that's an indicator also of you know is, a, yeah. is, is the o2 sensor lazy is the cat you know we can check temps on the cat front and back find out exactly what's going on there i mean there's all sorts of basic things that could be looked at but again i think your jerkiness is we don't have enough power yeah, that would okay. make more sense. That, that's yeah. that's my. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of almost put myself in the in the driver's seat driving that and kind yeah, of right. you know feel what you're talking about. And my gut feeling is we're we're just lack of power right now. When I, I was I was kind of thinking before you said that I was kind of thinking maybe well maybe there's a motor mount or something that's sagging just a little bit that's maybe causing that, but that wouldn't be a lack of power. No, that would be a lack of power on your yeah. you know going up you yeah. know uh, you know inclines first gear things like that. If you if you're down there, I you know. And again, we could have something, you know, a, top, a good top engine clean. Nathan might fix this. I mean, it, there's numerous things. Again, we somebody just needs to go through and and kind of take a step by step approach to find out why is it down on power? Because because I'm 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 almost positive it is. Yeah, and that would... I see. So run it in for a good evaluation. Yeah, I think somebody yeah. just needs to take a good look front to back, find out, you know, do we have good airflow coming in and out? Do we have an issue going on on the intake side, mass airflow sensor, like Ken said? Do we have an issue with the cat is the cat flowing freely right. is it a combination of those two by the way if a, yeah. if it runs rich for too long that can be a problem with the cat i mean we got lots of things that can go on and contribute to this what is it yeah right exactly and did it in in your history with it has it ever had a misfire to it the check engine great light question. flashing or anything great question uh you know it's had a check engine light but it's it's always been something simple oh, okay um, okay yeah. Or for instance, like a and what fuel have you always ran, Nathan, or, or you know, is, does it vary? I always run, you mean, as far as where it's purchased? Yeah, where do you, or, yeah, where do you buy gas at? Uh, like a Shell or Mobile. 
Okay, no, good. No, so those are top tier station. That helps. They've got yeah. the better ad packs in them. I mean, I you know again, if you were a uh, you know buying Safeway, King Supers, gas, you know the whole life of the vehicle, then yeah, I could be almost saying also that, and we still could have you know some internal internal carbon buildup, which would also cause some of this carbon inside of an engine is like a big sponge. It actually absorbs the fuel, doesn't let it ignite like it should. It, it drops the power down because of it, and and that also can be a cause of what we're talking about. And what year was it? I've I missed that. 2008. Eight. So, yeah, carbon buildup could, could definitely be a factor. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So something more than uh, a simple injector. I, yeah, I'm guessing, you know, you, you would typically notice if you had a bad plug, bad injector, you'd have a check engine light typically turning on, and, yeah. you'd, and you'd know that all the time. You'd feel right. it constantly. Again, I think in this case we're just, we're just down on power some way, somehow. Yep. Just enough to cause your, yep. your symptom there. and Yeah. Okay, very good. Well, thank you. You're welcome. No, Nathan, thanks. Great question, by the way. And these are a little tough when you're not in the vehicle driving it, but everything you're describing, yeah, I would say we've got something that's that's a little awry. And, uh, again, it goes back to our conversation we had with Mike for a while, which is, yeah. you know, knowing how to read the scan tool, which particular areas do we need to be focused on, but on the same token as a technician looking through all of those things and just knowing right off the bat, is there something out of whack? Right. Uh, you, you know, I, I was looking for the correct word earlier. What, what a good scan tool also does is has the ability to look at all the monitors yeah. that are in the computer, monitoring all of the different sections of, of the vehicle itself, especially of the powertrain, and, and then knowing, you know, because monitors have to be functioning properly and you can actually, with a scan tool, in some cases, look and see, is a light about to come on? Right. It maybe isn't fully on yet, but uh-huh. is it about to come on because the monitor is about to turn it on? Those are also things that somebody with a good scan tool with knowledge can look at and tell, right? Yeah, exactly. They'll, it'll give a history on, on those monitors, and it's like, okay, this has failed, you know, th- numerous times in the past you know 50 drives or something like that right and if we up that a little bit it's going to turn the light on but it's not right right now it's not right exactly it's not failing enough to turn the light on so it's still an issue but it's not right and that's what i mean by you know that that's the difference between having a good scan tool that can read all of that as ken said earlier versus just going to a part store or picking up on you know, wherever, Amazon, eBay, Napa, right. you know, the $50 code reader. Not saying that's bad that you shouldn't have a $50 code reader. I mean, let's, say, let's face it. If you just got a loose gas cap and it tells you that and you can go tighten it up and off you go, great. Yeah, exactly. Problem solved. That's better than nothing. Right. But there's... But some, that's <laughs> rarely the case. Right. Exactly. I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's rarely the case. Rarely. So, yeah. all right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Another full hour coming your way. The question of the day is your favorite automotive hero... And by the way, that doesn't have to be in the motor, the, the motorsport end of things. It can be anyone in the industry. Who would that be? 303-477-5600. We'll come right back, though. Drive Radio, KLZ 560. Still haven't had enough? Go to drive-radio.com. Email your questions and comments. Download previous programs and find lots of useful information, including your nearest Colorado Select Auto Care Center. That's drive-radio.com. Thanks for listening to Drive Radio, sponsored by the member shops of Colorado Select Auto Care Centers on KLZ 560.